Storymakers. I'm Elizabeth Stark Powers. And I'm Angie Powers. And we're here with Lee Page. Hi, Lee. Hello. <laughs> and um, we're going to start each week with a check-in about what we're doing in our creative writing lives uh, this week. So, Angie, would you like to start? I would love to start. Oh, wait a minute. I just, let's, we got to mute our uh, YouTube. Oh, but it came in. So that part got recorded. So anyway, um, yeah, so basically what I'm working, wow, what I'm working on is a day, my getting back to this sort of more daily practice. So starting my day off with writing and not trying to focus on a particular project so much as just the habit, the practice. And um, I find that that's been really helpful in getting me opened to new ideas and really noticing things again. Wonderful. How about you? <laughs> um, I have been um, editing my the opening to my memoir and also simultaneously working on the overview and kind of um, I've been using my early morning time which is you know where I haven't exposed myself to any linear prose or functional use of language and focusing on um, that kind of using that creative time in editing, but in, in moments where I need to go in and deepen it or expand the work, using that kind of slow, connected time at, um, to do that, to go in and drop down and, and really open it, open out a scene, things like that. So that's what I'm working on now. Fantastic. Lee, how about you? <laughs> Well, I um, am just getting back to sort of the daily um, goal of 150 words on my newest project. Um, and I have 150 words set as the goal because if I set it higher, I will often say I don't, I, it's too intimidating. But if I just sit down and once I get to the 150, I usually, you know, carry on well beyond that. Um, but setting the bar low has been really helpful. Although... Yeah. Um, I've been very distracted this week, um, partly because I have three books I'm working on sort of simultaneously and one of course launched and that was distracting. And then the other one, this is what happens to me when I try to focus on one, it just doesn't work because, um, the second one, which is the first memoir, um, that I'm in the process of submitting to agents, um, I've gotten about 15 rejections. From it. So I decided today, randomly, to pull out the query letter and rework that. Um, and so that's what I spent the day on. Um, so I'll still have to get to my 150 words on the other one after we're done. It's like having three kids, right? They all want your time and attention. It is. As soon as one kind of gets stabilized, I'm like, okay, forget you. And then, yeah. Off, you know, so yeah. Um, I, I'm fine. I can't juggle three. I can pretty much handle two at once. <laughs> Something's got to get put down. Yeah. 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 Well, we're going to get into all of that as we uh, have a our, go into our interview segment with you, and I'm looking forward to it. Um, before we do, um, is there this is a t moment when we can look ahead to anything that's coming up, any events, or um, you know, just anything that we we have to share with the audience. Um, Lee, I know that your book launched this week. Do you have any upcoming? Um, appearances or events? I don't have anything set yet because it only launched really in the UK. Right. Um, I guess the Kindle is available anywhere in the world, but the actual print version won't be here 
until sometime in July and August. And I don't even know exactly when yet. So I can't schedule anything until they let me know. So <laughs> it'll be later. <laughs> All right, great. Well, this is, and then there's this, <laughs> this event. Um, Angie, anything you can think of? We have our children are going to be at Hot Monk at 4 p.m. doing a talent show this Thursday. Um, but outside of that, nothing that I can think of off the top of my head. Um, well, all right then. And um, and we will have some upcoming uh, summer classes and things, but we haven't quite nailed that all down yet. So um, good. Well, let's jump in and talk to Lee. So, um, one, I was just so excited to, to launch this podcast with Lee as our guest because she has been taking classes with me for, is it four years, Lee? I think it's for almost four years. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. um, so I've really gotten to witness a tremendous amount of success and, and progress in writing, um, over that time. It's, it's really exciting. And, um, so, you know, you've written this, this powerful book about parenting, which came out this week in the UK and then this summer here. And we'll, we'll definitely get into that. Um, and then you've, you've written a book that you're now, um, I guess, sending out into the world uh, a, a memoir, which I've also had a chance to read and draft, which is also a really powerful and important and compelling story. And then you're at work on a, on a third book, an, an, a second memoir, um, which, is, which, is, which I've heard pieces of that are all wonderful. <laughs> so I want to kind of touch on each of those projects, but just by way of introduction, I also want to say that you have consistently submitted your work and and come into class and reported to us on rejections, as you just mentioned, you know, the, the 15 rejections. And those rejections have allowed for the occasional acceptance that has really built up an impressive body of publication of short work as well as the, the publication of your first book. So it's been so important to all of us to see that um, that is the, the, the rhythm of being a successful career writer is rejection, 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 acceptance, <laughs> rejection, 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 acceptance, um, that that's just how it goes. So maybe we, um, we will start there with just um, both, you know, just sort of the daily pieces of it from the submitting and then also balancing that with, with the writing, right, so that you can be doing both. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about how you, how you kind of organize yourself to be doing both putting your work out into the world and putting it out onto the page? Um. I would, I have to admit that it's completely and totally random um, because I just have been, most of the time I just work every day on whatever project I'm writing on, which I really have to thank you and, you know, the original mentor group for instilling that, you know, the daily writing practice. Um, because I think I might have been one of those people who thought you only write when you feel like writing or when you feel the writing coming to you. Um, and I definitely have learned that you write every day and that's how it comes to you. Um, um, because I literally did not write before taking your class. Um, I mean, you know, little bits and pieces of random other things, but nothing I considered writing. Um, so I had to learn from scratch. Um, and the submitting, I think it was after we had that, um, meeting, the online meeting with Joan Gelfand. 
Uh huh. And, and she was talking she about a and a submission coach. Yeah. Yeah. And she something about what she said just made it seem like, oh, well, that's what you have to do. And I remember her saying something about a four percent rate. You know, mm -hmm. if you submit a hundred percent, you know, hundred things, you're going to get four pieces in, and something about that. I don't know. It opened the door, and so I think that was when I started submitting, and um, and I think she also gave us the name of that list, the online list that announces places to Props submit. One creative yeah. opportunities, yeah. which is a Yahoo um, list. Yeah. And so that, you know, because I was clueless as to where to put anything. Um, and so that just gave me a lot of different places. So I just started submitting. And the first rejection came back and I nearly died. Um, <laughs> I mean, I just knew, you know, you just felt like just, you know, oh, worthless. Like I'll go crawl away. But then I submitted again, again and I got rejected and submitted and rejected. And, you know, each, you know, each one felt a little less you know, mortal, I mean, a little less deadly. And, um, and then also it helped to be able to come and report to you guys. Oh, I submitted, I got rejected. And you're like, yay. <laughs> and it helps. It helps to have somebody encouraging you to fail. Um, you know, because failing is what you do on the way to not failing. Um, and then, you know, I, every once in a while I get, a, I get an acceptance. So that was great. And, the other thing that was really mo became now to me more of a motivator even than being accepted is there's something about submitting that makes you see your work in an entirely different way because every time I submit something, as soon as I push that send button, for some reason I have to go back and look at what I sent. And I look at it and I'm like, oh my God, this is crap. And so then I go and I fix whatever it was that I didn't see before I sent it off and then it gets better. Or, and then the other thing that happens with, with submission, which I think it's just like the exercise of it in itself is good. Um, is that there's always a word limit on the submission, you know, it'll be 1500 words or something and whatever the topic is that they've picked, I'll have something in mind, but it's never quite fits their word limit. You know, it'll be, mine will be 1,800 words, and the submission guideline is for 1,500. So I have to find a way to cut 300 words, which I would never have done if I didn't have that constraint put on me. And so I wrestle and wrestle and, you know, chop and chop. And then I, when I have it down to 1,500 words, it's so much better. Um, it, you know, and, and so submitting to me is, is almost m more about improving the work than it is about getting the work out. What a great reframe that is, because I think so many people are use the submission process as a self-reinforcement. You know, I'm good enough because I've been picked up or, you know, this is how I know I will have succeeded. And to actually reframe the process as something that can improve the work versus validation of the work is, I think, a very powerful place to be. I think that's a fantastic way to view the process. Yeah. That's wonderful. Well, because even when I, you know, I just got my first copy of the parenting book in my hand the other day and I can pick it up and open it up and read and go, oh, that's great. But I could have made that better, <laughs> um, you know? So <laughs> I just, it, it does not, it's just another submission. <laughs> I mean, on some level, it's just another yeah. submission. Uh, yeah, and you have to be willing to grow in public, right? You have to be willing to put it out there before you've learned something you'll learn five years from now. Exactly. 
Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk a little bit about writing the parenting book and, and its journey into the world. What, what made you start there? Um, well, you know, I came to you guys without really, I came to you guys because of a friend that was in your group said, Lee, I think you should, I think you should join this. I think you, you know, she'd known me for a long time and she said, I think you have some things you should write about. And I'm like, no, 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 no. You know, you just, you don't know what you're talking about, but we had just moved. I was, comp- I was in mourning for what we had left and I was completely spinning my wheels and I thought, oh, well, you know, I'll just try this. Um, and so if you're going to write something, you have to write something. <laughs> And I, had, I didn't know what else to write about other than I had been writing about this stuff online to people for a long time. So that's what I knew. So I was actually playing it really safe by writing about something that I already at least thought I knew about. Um, and so that's just what I I did. I just sat, you know, and I remember the first class actually probably – arguing with you and you had tremendous patience with me if I recall saying I can't do this you know I can't I can't because I was so used to responding to questions it was never me just saying what I thought it was always somebody would say hey what do I do about this and then I would I would answer um and you said well can you come up with you know 10 basic questions that you know people over the years have asked you I'm just like well I think I can do that. And then I just sat down and answered them. And there's the book. Um, I love it. Now, do you, have you used that at all with the memoirs? Have you, have you asked yourself questions? Well, yes, but they were, the memoirs were, are definitely question driven. I mean, I clearly am recognizing at this point that that's the only way I can write is when I have a question. Um, because the, the parenting book, it was question driven, even though I knew the answers, it was just a matter of how do I write this so that I, you know, how do I write it in a way that people can hear. Right, um, right. But when I was writing the first memoir, I, well, I, I wasn't even intentionally, see, I wasn't even intentionally writing a memoir when I wrote the first memoir. Because remember, I was in your craft class and we were just doing little bits and pieces and I was just fussing around and it just I kept writing stuff about Montana and I think I had 60,000 words and you said Lee how many words do you have and I said well I have 60,000 words and you said I think you have a book I'm like no I don't and I'm arguing with you again um <laughs> I'm glad it's so productive to argue with you. <laughs> and um not that you were arguing but I was you know I was having huge resistance to what was sitting in front of me but yeah I mean so the, but the question I was answering that I didn't know I was asking but that I was answering was did we have to leave because I was in the process of dealing with leaving and so that was the whole memoir was answering did we have to leave and then and then you know the deeper question of why um which I didn't really know I knew the answer to the first question did we have to leave when I finished the memoirs first draft I didn't know why until about the third or fourth draft um so and then this then this second memoir was a question that arose from writing the first memoir there was a something came up in the first memoir that reminded me of something that had happened you know much longer 30 years ago Mm. well 35 years ago when I was 15 and um and I just realized it just kind of blew up in my face and it was one of those things I thought oh no I'm gonna have to dig into this because this just 
this is like the bigger question that kind of the first memoir was almost like the answer to but it, I don't know if that makes sense, but mm-hmm. um, it was like the beginning of the question actually started 35 years ago. Um, so You know what I love is that you didn't make the mistake of trying to shoehorn that into the same book. Because I think one of the hard things about memoir is is pulling the story out of life, you know? And, and so here you have this very clear story that's the Montana story, um, but, you know, but finding these things that are relevant and related and, and yet recognizing it's a different book. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I think that's... And one of the ways, I mean, I don't know if this is how other people do it, but I don't sit down and know what the story is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't sit down with a clue as to what the story is, um, which is why, of course, I fight Angie on the structure. <laughs> that just seems to be my, my, my M.O. Um, um, and it's tremendously helpful, but it's like the only way I can do it. But, you know, I have to just sort of write the I mean, it is a little bit like waiting for inspiration, even though I've gotten disciplined about sitting down and being mm-hmm. present for inspiration, but it is a little bit like just writing what comes out of my head and not saying, I need a scene that does A, B, or C. I can't do that. Yeah. I mean, truthfully, just to, just to say from the structure point of view that, you know, it's about having a set of tools that you can apply. Doesn't have to be the first time, but it's questions that you do need to ask to make your story strong. So, um, you know, some people, for me, I fought it. I was not originally this kind of person. I was very much a person who would sit down and write exploratory drafts, but I never knew what to do with them once I had an exploratory draft. And um, so this process for me is definitely something that helps organize my my very wandering mind. And well, just, and so, say that, so go ahead. Sorry. Just that, that that is exactly what I've learned too. And yeah. It's incredibly valuable. I just have to do the first step first. Mm-hmm. And I want to talk about some of those other steps, but um, speaking of organization, uh, Sabina has a question, uh, which is how do you know where to start and end your memoirs, which I think comes out of all of this, this moment of conversation. So let's start there with the question of what you do with them. How do you know where to start and end, or how do you discover where to start and end? Are you asking me? Yes. yes. Oh. <laughs> like, I'm so, I, um, <laughs> I mean, how do you know where to start and end yours? You know, not, not, I didn't didn't write it. None of my mine have been written chronologically in the sense that the first thing I wrote was not the beginning. Mm -hmm. Um, I leapfrogged all over the place. I mean, the first piece that I wrote about Montana ever was about my cat killing a vole and eating it on the lawn while we ate dinner, which did make it into the memoir, but it's not the beginning, but it was completely thematic. I mean, it was like, there's a microcosm of my memoir right there. Um, the vole fought back, but then it died. Um, <laughs> and, um, um, so, and then I didn't, I didn't write the beginning probably until the end. I probably wrote the beginning, the, the first, you know, the opening of the, of the memoir, second to last, and I wrote the ending of the memoir absolutely last, which is actually, I just realized, not even true, because, well, see, I switched, and I switched the ending in the beginning. Switched them. Yeah. I switched them, but also, this is so crazy, and this is why I say it's just random. You can't know until you've got, I can't know until I've got the whole thing there. 
Um, and I have to put it together with puzzle pieces because what I ended up putting in the beginning was something I wrote in mentor class when I was writing the parenting book. And sometimes you would say, you would have us write little exercises in class. And I didn't really want to write about parenting things because it seems so dry as like a writing exercise in class. So you said, well, just write about, so I didn't know what to write about. And you said, well, just write about what's going on with you right now. And I wrote about hating my kitchen sink. Um, I remember that. And that made it into the book too. And that is, I actually, the first sentence of my book is now I hate my kitchen sink mm -hmm. um, because it was literally how the, the frame of mind that I was in after we had left Montana and I was struggling to figure out everything. And I was in the middle of writing this book, but I'm, you know, I'm totally struggling and I was projecting all of my everything onto my kitchen sink. And so that piece ended up being at first the end of my book, but then it ended, I switched it and made the end. So I don't know if that, answer, if that answers the question, but. So the end of your book that was the beginning, is that chronologically the beginning? It's, it's, it's not, well, it's not, but see, it's actually chronologically the end because it happens last mm. because my memoir starts with us arriving in Montana, living in Montana for 15 years and then ends with us leaving Montana. And so this, um, scene in with my kitchen and my kitchen sink hap and it actually, I uh, have a, I mean, it's like a little too, it's kind of, it, it was originally an epilogue and now it's the prologue right. where I'm hating my kitchen sink and I'm going through all this stuff. And I actually, it forces me to sit down and open my computer because I am so lost and I open up the computer and I start to write, which is kind of the beginning and the end, and, you know, it goes around mm -hmm. and around right. and around. Um, and because the writing is part of the ending, which is part of the beginning. <laughs> right, right. And then it's the storytelling journey. Um, because a lot of this, the, the reality of the, that memoir has to do with voice and narrative and who chooses the narrative of your life and who is in control of that narrative. And I did not get control of that narrative until after we had left, really until after I'd done like 10 drafts of that memoir. Mm. Um, and so... Um, most of that happens off the page, but it's in plot. <laughs> and that's wonderful. So let, oh, go ahead. Did Angie, did you have a question? I uh, know. Oh, so let's talk about some of those drafts for, for a bit. And, and then, and then I do want to circle back to the parenting book, but, um, so you, you, you don't have a plan. You're writing, you're explore, you're writing an exploratory draft. You're, you have sort of questions that your the book maybe is asking and you're writing not necessarily in chronological order. And then you have this draft, do you then put it into chronological order? What are your next steps? Well, what I did with the, I mean, with the, the memoirs are very different than the parenting book. So I'll just talk about the memoirs because I think that's probably more relevant. Um, but as you recall, when I first put it together, I put it together more, th it was semi-chronologically, but I had put it together somewhat thematically. Mm -hmm. or I'm not sure if thematically is right, but I'd put sort of full stories together. So I had a, I had like a whole bunch of things that happened with Tony Yost, our farrier, um, the, you know, the guy that came to shoe our horses. Um, and I had a whole, and that was in chronological order. And then I had a whole section. 
I kind of did it in slices, but they were roughly chronological, but they weren't entirely because I kind of stuck with the same person or with the same issue from start to finish. And that's what I submitted to you guys for that first full book workshop. And that's when you said, you got to break this stuff up and pull it apart and put it in chronological order, which is what I then did. And then that made it very much more, it was so much stronger after that. Um, but I didn't, I, I thought I had got it in chronological order, but it wasn't really until I'd done it. And now it's in, in, in absolute strict chronological order. I mean, you could, you could mark it out all on dates and there's nothing, and there's one, uh, two or three maybe flashbacks to early my childhood, but in mm-hmm. terms of the events that are in the book, it's 100% chronological. Did, did you find yourself tempted to put things in that, that weren't, um, either weren't relevant or, I mean, did you find yourself having to take things out because they weren't relevant or um, how did you, or, you know, you might, you know, you much more happens than can be included in, in a book. So how did you f- create that filter? Um, to be honest, there were probably three or four scenes in the original draft that I took out. Um, and when I redid it, I probably put in, I think I maybe put in two or three of those back um, because I realized that they were crucial and took out a couple more. Um, but I, I, I mean, what I, and then it's more like I, it, what, what ended up happening really where I ended up cutting the most wasn't really specific scenes because for some reason I pretty much nailed it with my random, just, this is coming out of my gut. This is one of whatever, this is feeling really strong about, I'm feeling really strong about this. And so it came out on the page and that seemed to be a very good filter, um, which is, if it was torturing me, it was worth being on the page. And there was a lot that was torturing me. I mean, even the good stuff was torturing me because I left it. So I had to, you know, it was, you know, for whatever, you know, my sick mind or whatever, my sick mind was a pretty good filter. Um, but what I ended up doing, um, actually right before I submitted to agents, it was 90,000 words and I cut it down to about 78,000, um, just by going through and getting rid of words and sentences and a couple of paragraphs, anything, anything that I felt like I could get rid of because somebody told me no agent is going to read it if it's 90,000 words. So there was that submission thing again. And at first I resisted that and I thought, no, I know the value of this. I know the value of cutting. So I just went and, and looked literally on a word level for what could go. Right. Um, Organizationally, you said that this sort of started with a question and I feel like, you know, you were, you know, in, you kind of maybe had an intuitive sense of how to organize it because you had an organizing question. There was something driving you to do this work. And so um, perhaps it kept you closer to a, a, a simpler framework than, you know, I think, you know, Elizabeth and I often talk, what do you include? What do you not include? What's important? How do you know what's important? And, um, and so I think it's just interesting. So you're saying that you have this very intuitive approach that happened on this book for you. And at the same time, it did sound like there was a definite driving question that you were wrestling with um, that probably helped with some of that organization. I think that's probably true. That's a nicer way of saying it than a sick mind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, the other, 
the one other thing that that also affected me was I had taken out a few scenes before I submitted to you guys for you know for that class because I was I was trying to protect some people. Um, mm-hmm. There was, and I like there was one scene that I just now towards the end of the book um, that involves a woman who was a wonderful person who said something devastating to me she didn't mean it to be devastating but it was devastating and it was also the truth and it 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 was the most crucial event of the whole almost the most crucial event of the whole story like made me see i was like bingo there it is in black and white and i took that out when i originally gave it to you guys because i didn't want to hurt her feelings you know right and then i realized afterwards oh no i have to put this in even though it'll make her look bad, even though it's not really, I mean, she doesn't say it in a malicious way. It just, it wasn't a very nice thing to say to somebody. Um, and actually I'm very grateful that she said it because if she hadn't, I might not have figured things out, but, um, that's the way it is with memoir. The people, that's why it's good to write memoir. Then you understand all those horrible things were things you needed (laughs) to have. I mean, on some way, I mean, on some level, I mean, you know, you make sense of, those things um they 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 end up being a step in your arc and you can't be on your arc without the steps right yeah Um, this is the power of story we have we have a couple of more questions have come in one is um time wise what point of view did you write from so um was it and i think she's also talking about narrative distance a memoir with reflection from five years or a piece from the past and not a whole lot of reflection so were you you know were you close to the to the narrative and just writing from that time or did you have a narrator who could go in and reflect um, or or anything else you want to say about the point of the time the sort of distance between i think is what she means between the narrator and the character well, in the Montana memoir, the, I started writing it, which is probably I've read now that it's unwise to do this. But I started writing it when I was less than a year away from it. Um, mm-hmm. So it was right front and center. I mean, I was literally lying awake all night thinking about these things every night. And writing was my way of making sense of that. Um, and so I wrote it in first person. I wrote it in present tense, first person, um, even though it started 15 well, now almost 20 years ago, but when I started writing it, it, you know, the beginning had been 15 years prior, but it still felt felt absolutely like the present to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and I left it in the present when I submitted out. I it's still in present tense, um, and I there's reflection in it, and I and I don't. I mean, it, in a way, I think I. I mean, I don't know if I'm going to get away with it um, because the two people I've seen pages have said, no, thank you. Um, but in this in this version, um, I don't really have to worry about different voices because my voice now, I don't really think is that much different than my voice was 10 years ago. So I'm not dealing with like an adolescent voice or a child mm-hmm. voice at all. Um, and I feel like I can pretty quickly – I can pretty easily slip in sort of reflections in this in the same voice. The Greek memoir, however, is when I was 15, mm-hmm. and I'm writing that. I mean, sometimes I slip into present tense when I'm doing the rough draft, but I'm actually writing. I'm really attempting to write it in in much more. In I'm writing in past tense um, because it was so far away, and I'm I'm still in the middle of the of I mean, I'm sort of towards the end, but I still have these sort of runs that are very 
reflective, but I'm not sure they will end up staying there. Mm-hmm. I don't really know yet with that one. Yeah, but you're still you're still exploring it. Yeah, and I'm not sure where where the bookends will be of it because there may be a bookend on that one that actually comes up till now, hmm. which may give me a yeah. leeway into using my now voice. I don't know. I haven't figured out the structure, you know, the, the literal structure. I mean, I've got the, the seven step structure. Thank yeah. you. Um, I, I just have to, you know, resist the whole way, but I do have that, but I don't have the actual how it will be organized on the page. Right. Structure. Right. So we have one more question, which is a question about how you know when it's time to close that document and start sending it out into the world. Um, I don't know other than I just go by the seat of my pants. I mean, people used to ask me in Montana how I grew tomatoes because you know, it's hard, it's short season up there. And they're like, well, tell me when you, you know, how is it you know when to set your plants out? And my answer was when I am sick of them being on the windowsill, you know, and it like didn't have to do with the weather or the soil temperature or yada yada. It was just like, you know, when I'm sick of it, out they go. And um, I think it's that simple for me with the, I, I don't know. It's, it feels really random. Um, I mean, I could fiddle with I can fiddle with yeah. the memoir. I mean, right before I was going to send it out, I cut twelve thousand words from it. Um, right. So I could and I could go back and fiddle with it again. I mean, I still second guess myself about switching the beginning and the end. You know, I think, oh, I should go back and cut out all this or. or to, uh, I, mean, I, don't, I don't know. It's an interesting question also, especially as we have these conversations about how often women are published versus men and how often women send out stuff and what they kind of hold on to. Um, and, and that, very, you know, certain groups are just more likely to hang on for a very long time before sending it out into the world. And again, I love going back to that. Um, that view of submission as a tool because it really takes it out of is it good enough and into all right am I in the ballpark how can I use this as a way to get myself all the way up there or you know much further and so I really like using it as a tool and I, I uh, it's an awesome framework because I think people need to start sending out more often than they do. Um, and it actually, that question put me in mind of a website that I wasn't familiar with before. It's this concept of write one, sub one. So if you're doing shorter pieces, you write a, a short story a week and you submit one. And, you know, that's apparently Ray Bradbury's approach is what he did in addition to writing his novels. Um, but certainly I think the idea of, you know, using it as a tool to get it good enough and the truth is it's got to be good enough for someone to care about it and be interested in it um it doesn't have to be perfect and and i think you know the idea that we could create a perfect novel is kind of uh more a, a limiting belief than than of, of value so i wanted to um that might be a good opportunity to talk about um some of kind of uh, Lee's other reframing that comes in the parenting book and the ways in which um, so the, in which that parenting book also kind of bears on writing and the writing life. So I don't know if you, since it's just come out in the UK, you may not have had much opportunity to practice saying in a in a couple of sentences what it's about, but maybe you could practice on us, um, just giving us the kind of the kind of pitch of the book, and then maybe talk a little bit about. Um, about you know the ways we've I know we've talked about the ways that it some of what you talk about there and some of those underlying principles apply to to writing as well as parenting. 
Um, well, actually, I mean, it's true. I do not have, I have not had a lot of opportunity to talk mm-hmm. about it. And it's, I still feel like that's a challenge. But when I describe it, I do say that it is primarily, I reframe a lot of the issues that I struggled with as a parent and that I know people today are, you know, are challenges for parents today. And I try to reframe them in a way um, that is reassuring and clarifying um, for people. Um, I challenge a lot of conventional wisdom um, in doing that. Um, And I also provide an overarching sort of umbrella, you might say, of three guiding principles um, that I think people can use um, because I don't have all the answers and everything is, any answer always is within the context of any, you know, one particular family. Um, there's never a one size fit all, but I do believe that there's some guiding principles that can pretty much apply to anything. And I actually think, as you say, I think it may apply to literally anything, not just parenting. And I'm, you know, I mean, this is just sort of my distillation of things. Um, should so I tell you? Yeah, so say, I would just say the three of them, and we'll just think about it because we're we're about to wrap up. But let's say those three. Well, the three of them are the first one is be calm, um, which obviously is much easier said than done, um, but that has to do with addressing your emotions um, and having them sit with you as opposed to you know, uh, preventing you from doing things or goading you into doing things you might not want to do. Um, and that applies to writing, you know, sort of doing things with fear. Um, submitting, even though you're afraid and not sure that it's right. just You just have to do it anyway. You're afraid and you submit. Um, and the second one, the second principle is to, uh, well, it's to sort of step into your parental authority. Um, and in my definition of authority is just a combination of your life experience, you know, what you know, what you feel, and what you can do. Um, and so it's a balance of all of those things. And then the third principle is to act. Um, um, because if we know what to do, but we don't actually do it, it, that's sort of like the final manifestation of, of us. I mean, that's how we manifest ourselves in the world is by acting. So there you have all the people that want to be writers, but don't sit down. So you have to sit down and actually write with what you've got. And, and I think with what, you know, what people have is very valuable. Um, and so um, I think often people are just unsure of themselves and not convinced that what they know is enough um, and who they are is enough. And I'm absolutely convinced that it is um, in the parenting world or in the writing world. I mean, it's it, every day I come to your class, it proves it to me because, you know, just people that are writing about incredibly different things in incredibly different ways. Every time I finish class, I walk off my hair standing on head and my, you know, I have to peel my eyebrows off the ceiling because I'm so blown away. And I, you know, and we're all just ordinary people but doing writing extraordinary things. And I think that's pretty much true across the board is it's just have about having courage and putting it out there. Beautifully, beautifully said. Thank you. Yes. Um, well, let's wrap up with our, uh, steal this, um, 
what do we call it? Our, our steal this segment, <laughs> uh, which comes from uh, uh, the, the idea that amateur writers borrow and professional writers steal. I think T.S. Eliot said amateur poets borrow, professional writers steal, but lots of people have said something along those lines one way or the other. So just for us to take a moment and think back over our week, what we've encountered in, in books and conversation and popular culture and, and whatever, even in this conversation, and think about what we want to steal in the sense of making it our own, incorporating it into our own writing lives. Um, Angie, you want to start? Well, I appreciated actually one of the comments that Lee made today because it reminded me uh, of things that I think are incredibly value, which is... Uh, you know, lower your standards. When we set these incredibly high standards for ourselves, we end up shooting ourselves in the foot. And so, um, you know, there's a person who did a book on uh, called Tiny Habits, and it's about doing like one push up or doing 150 words, um, but building the consistency because you do most often sort of go beyond that and. Um, so as I do my morning ritual, that's that's sort of one of the things that has been happening for me is it's been expanding. So it starts with just the ritual, but then it expands into something more. So I'm going to steal Lee's um, <laughs> comment and um, really emphasize that. Check out the book Tiny Habits. Great. Thank you. Lee, on the spot, do you have anything that comes oh. to mind? <laughs> um, oh, my goodness. You, I have to think. You okay. got me. I'll, I'll go next, and if you do, great. And if you don't, the other thing I was going to ask is if you have um, any, and you can. I'll go next, and then you can do answer either question. But if you have anything posted in your writing area and your wall or anything that's you know for inspiration, um, I'm curious about that. Um, what you use, you know, or part of your daily ritual for writing. Um, so mine is going to be um, the book, the life changing habit. What's it called? The life-changing magic of tidying up. Yes. Uh, Marie Kondo or something. Anyway, I'm not. I'm not giving this very well, but um, I think it is Kondo. Yeah, Marie Kondo. So she, um, she's. It is about actual cleaning, and of course, the founding principle of book writing world came from a different book called Organizing from the Inside Out by J Julia Morgenstern. So there's something about you know, these books on organizing that is really inspiring to me, if, if not to uh, actually deal with my own mess, uh, maybe to inspire my writing. And what she suggests is that you tackle, you know, things by, um, that you gather together things in the category, like all your clothes rather than doing, you know, cleaning your whole bedroom and then all your, you know, all your clothes, then all your books. And so on. pull everything out, pull, spread it all around, see what you have. And then, um, and then hold each item physically and ask yourself if it sparks joy for you. And if it does, you keep it. And if it doesn't, you let it go. And, and maybe it, it would serve some wonderful purpose and you thank it for it, the purpose it served and let it go. I feel like there's got to be incredible lessons for us as creators, you know, and, and even in the revision process, pulling together, you know, everything, putting it all together, looking at it, and then saying, does this spark joy? You know, and the simplicity of that question as a guiding principle, I, I really love. So that's what I'm trying to steal and incorporate this week. Um, Lee, do you want to go? I just, 
I really can't think of anything. I'm sorry. How about your writing space? Do you keep any kind of um, quotes, candles, uh, pen, special pens? Um... You know, my writing space is actually all over. Um, mm -hmm. I don't write at my desk at all. Um, my husband made me a standing desk because when I sit, I get problems, um, which is just like made out of actually two jump boxes that he made for my son who plays hockey to exercise on and then he put them together into a writing desk and I stand at that I'm kind of a little hyperactive um and so I'll sit on the sofa I'll get up I move around I'm pretty undisciplined at my discipline um but I mean you know I wrote the first book in the hockey rink and the second book in the parking lot of a hockey rink so sitting in a truck or in a warm room um mm. with nothing so i'm not i don't you're not precious about it it's just uh, yeah it's just like kind of yeah. yeah i love that that's wonderful yeah. lee tell um tell our listeners how they can find you and find your book oh okay um well i have a website um and it's uh at www.leepageauthor.com and my name is a little unusual. So it's spelled L-E-A-P-A-G-E author.com. Um, and you can find the book there as well as some information about me. I have some links to some other stuff I've written. I have a link to a um, interview I did with Barry Schwartz, which actually is kind of related to what you were talking about, Angie, about the good enough. Um, and actually, I mean, that's why I interviewed him because I felt like everything he said, he's in the economics and, and psychology department at Swarthmore, I kind of felt like he was, he and I had written the same books, except just, you know, with a different focus. Um, but his, his, it's called the paradox of choice. And, um, mm -hmm. talks about good that's a wonderful interview. I, I listened to it and I highly recommend it. Oh, it's thank really you. inspiring. Um, yeah. And the book, the parenting in the here and now, I don't know if it's going to be on you can see one video, but there's my one copy. Um, it's on Amazon now, um, and you can order it. You just can't get it um, in hard. You know, it's hold it up again, Lee, because uh, just hold it up. You know, we will have show notes, and I can go ahead and put a picture of the book and a link to it on Amazon. Okay, um, but it's available through Amazon. It's also available directly from Florist Books, which is the publisher. Um, but then you'd have to pay duty, I guess, to get it from Scotland here. So I, they're fine with you going to Amazon. They were fine with that. Um, but yeah, so. Well, wonderful. And yeah, so those will all be in the, sh in the show notes, the links, and um, including there was a request for the Creative Writing Opportunities link that Lee mentioned um, earlier. So we'll get that in there as well as um, Write One Sub One that Angie mentioned and, um, and anything else that, that came up. So um, thank you so much for uh, coming and talking with us today, Lee. It was wonderful. Thank yeah, you. Thank it was you. fun. It was fun. <laughs> And thanks, everybody else. Keep writing, and we'll see you next week. Bye.